Hello and welcome to another episode of Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged wastrel playing adventure game books out loud on the internet. That middle-aged wastrel is me, H.J. Doom, and this episode I'll be playing my way through fighting fantasy, book 20, Sword of the Samurai. Before that, there's a certain amount of admin to take care of. Firstly, and most importantly, I'd like to thank a new patron. That's someone who's gone to patreon.com forward slash hjdoom and pledged as little as a single English pound or local equivalent to support my nonsense. So, huge thanks to Duncan for putting your hand in your pocket to keep me on the air and supplied with game books. Your support is deeply appreciated. I'd also like to throw in a shout out to Duncan for recommending me some game books that I hadn't come across before, but which I'll definitely be featuring on the podcast in 2022. That brings me neatly on to my next announcement. My very own gamebook is officially finished. It has been edited, it has been playtested, it has been slightly revised. So if you are backing me on Patreon, or you have backed me on Patreon in the last year, and I can still find your email address, you will be getting a copy at Christmas, which gives you the perfect excuse to ignore your family for the afternoon, while you try and solve the mysteries of the House of the Unquiet Dead. It's not that hard to finish, but finding the very best ending is quite fiendish, even if I do say so myself. It will remain an exclusive gift for my patrons until I complete my next gaming project, at which point I may make it available for other people to buy. All my gaming material will go out free to my patrons first, no matter what, and I'm hoping that there will be a few projects throughout next year. Speaking of next year, it turns out that I'm going to be starting a new degree in January. This is very exciting, but it may somewhat curtail the oceans of free time I currently bask in as someone who's been unemployed for a number of years. It's possible that the release schedule might be a little erratic until I get a handle on the workload, but I'm committed to producing a main episode every month and a bonus episode on average every other month. If there's any significant problem, I'll be sure to let you all know in plenty of time. With the housekeeping out of the way, let's have a look at Sword of the Samurai. Now, Sword of the Samurai was published in 1986 by Puffin Books. It was written by Mark Smith and Jamie Thompson, illustrated by Alan Langford with cover art by Peter Andrew Jones. It's not one of the greatest fighting fantasy covers, if I'm honest. There's a hint of a forgotten new wave of British heavy metal to it, and the weird samurai monster in the front doesn't look as though it's properly part of the landscape. I mean, it's not awful. It's just a bit odd. Now, Mark Smith and Jamie Thompson were the authors of the ninja-themed adventure game book series Way of the Tiger, which I will certainly get to one of these days, as I have very fond memories of the series. They clearly love them, some Japanese culture, and Way of the Samurai, despite being allegedly set on Titan, the fighting fantasy world, is clearly actually set in medieval Japan. I have a vague knowledge of Japanese history, but no more, so I won't be in a position to give any detailed notes on their grasp of the finer points of Japanese culture. I apologise in advance if I inadvertently misunderstand or misrepresent something in my remarks. I am acutely conscious of my own ignorance. In terms of the system, alongside the usual skill, stamina and luck, you've also got a stat called honour, which relates to your adherence to the code of the samurai. 
it starts at three and if it ever drops to zero then it's game over. I get the impression that it is both a resource and a way of keeping score and that's a combination I like a lot, something I might borrow in fact for my next project. You also get 10 provisions, which I hope will delight everyone as much as it delights me, and the chance to choose a single skill from a short list. I like that. One skill is nice and easy to remember, but it does give each character something potentially unique about them. The list is quite varied, but I'm going to opt for Kyujutsu, the art of archery, for no better reason than I saw a display of Japanese horse archery as a child and thought it was awesome. That skill gets me a bow and a selection of different arrows, including the evocatively named Bowel Rakers, the less evocative but surely useful armor-piercing arrows, and an arrow that makes a horrid screaming noise. I've named my samurai Catharsis Donk Peebles, which seems appropriately solemn. They have a skill of 10, a stamina of 21, and a luck of 10. Let's get samuraiing. The world of Titan has three main continents, Alansia, Kakabad, and Kool, the Dark Continent. It is on the eastern coast of Kool that the land of Hachiman lies. The sea on one side and the mountains on all the others cut Hachiman off from the rest of the continent. The capital of Hachiman is Konichi, and its ruler is Kaihei Hasegawa, the Shogun. I can already tell that I am going to butcher so many names. So many names. I just have to try and remember that it's not technically Japan, it's technically fake fantasy Japan, and therefore, technically, I'm not being wildly insensitive. You are a young samurai, the shogun's champion, and said by many to be Kensai, or sword saint. You have faithfully followed Bushido, the way of the warrior, and are a master of Kenjutsu, the way of the sword. One day, the shogun summons you to his presence and tells you a dreadful tale. Hachiman is in grave danger. My control is slipping. Some lords are seeking to break away and declare their estates independent. Others have already done so and plot against me. Bandits roam the land freely and barbarian invaders have begun to raid across our borders, knowing that Hachiman is weak. All this because the Dai Katana, the great sword singing death, has been stolen from me. Singing death is a wondrous sword and said to bestow great power on its keeper and to be the soul of Hachiman itself. He who wields singing death and uncovers the secret of the sword will rule Hachiman, the shogun continues. Many lords say I now have not the right to rule. Some seek to take the sword for themselves. Others have already changed their allegiance to he who now holds the sword. And no keeper could be worse. It is Ikiru. Master of shadows, that soulless dog who cowers in his mountain fastness, Onikaru, the pit of demons. Now that he has the sword, Bakenmono show. Oh, this is going to be an absolute trial. An absolute trial. I will do my very best, but oh, if only I'd learned how to read properly as a child. Now that he has the sword, Bakemono show and Shikome are flocking to his banners and he summons forth Shura, warrior ghosts from the pit to aid him. Soon, if he uncovers the secret of the sword, he will overrun our beautiful land of cherry blossoms. You have Senki, war spirit, and to you I entrust this mission. Go, my champion, to Onikaru, slay Ikiru, and bring me singing death. 
It will not be easy. To slay Ikiru and to defeat his infernal allies, you will have to uncover the secret of singing death. I cannot tell you the secret, for it is written that he who freely reveals it will be damned forever to the nether regions, and the singing death will disappear from the worlds of men. You will have to solve the puzzle for yourself. I will pray to the Kami of the Heavens for your success, and may Hote, the god of luck, smile upon you. Here, take this, the seal of the Shogun. It will give you safe passage through those areas still loyal to me. So, that is our mission. It strikes me that, that the Lords are claiming he's got no right to rule because he's lost the Singing Death. And his response to losing the Singing Death is not to go off on a dangerous mission himself, but to fetch his handiest lackey and say, could you go and get this sword for me? Because the thing that the spiritual sword of Hachiman really, really respects is a guy who knows how to delegate. That's the, um, that's the secret source kind of feel aggrieved from the outset but i guess as a samurai it's not really up to me whether my master is worthy or not i just have to serve loyally so i will do as i am told you gather your weapons your katana brackets long sword and wakizashi brackets short sword your battle armor and provisions the guards salute you as you leave the main gate of konichi you follow the road north through the beautiful countryside surrounding the capital. Soon you come to a fork in the road. Will you go west and north to the Forest of Shadows, Hagakure Bridge, and on to the Shiosei Mountains? Or east to the ford through the Mizukomu Fens, and thence to the mountains? Just flicking through the books to make absolutely certain that I haven't missed a map. And I haven't missed a map, there is no map, so I have no real way of judging between these two options. Uh, there is a nice little picture of a samurai on a horse, riding with the sun behind him. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's got the sword out for some reason, and the horse is wearing an expression as if to say, you massive poser, put the sword away, we're still in the car park. So I am going to go west through the forest of the shadows over hakaguri bridge because that's the closest thing effectively it's a left-hand turn and we do love a left-hand turn so yeah we'll go through the forest of shadows yeah it's not really a meaningful choice but it is a choice you journey on through the lands of hachiman wherever you pass people bow with respect recognizing either the shogun's champion or the shogun's seal this close to konichi a land is as it ever was peaceful and happy this is really, really butting up to my dislike of the aristocracy as an institution. I don't care what culture you come from, scraping and bowing is just a bit icky. After a few days, habitations become more sparse. You are travelling through the domain of Lord Sietzin when you notice a plume of smoke on the horizon. As you draw near, you can see it is a burning village. You shake your head sorrowfully at the state Hatchiman is in, when raiders can strike into the heart of one of the Lord's territories. A dusty track leads from the road to the village. Will you investigate the village, or decide that your mission is too important and press on? Well, if I'm going to be given fancy armour, two lovely swords, a bow and a bunch of arrows, I kind of feel as though if people are bowing and scraping to me, I really ought to do my very best to live up to that deference. So I'm going to go and investigate the village. You stride down the dusty track, but 
break into a run when screams of pain come to you from the burning village. You can see horsemen, presumably bandits, charging in among the fleeing villagers. A grove of trees obscures your view for a moment, and as you round it a horseman gallops up the trail from the village towards you. It is a samurai with a long spear in one hand, and dressed in the green and blue lacquered armour of Tsietsin, the lord of this area. There is a picture of the samurai on a horse with a spear charging towards us. I wouldn't mess. I'd just let him get on with whatever he was doing. But obviously, fictional me, Catharsis Donk Peebles, is made of sterner stuff. So, uh, do I want to run towards him, show him the Shogun's seal and order him to tell me what is going on, or wait for him to come to you? Well, let's find out whether Tsietsin is loyal. If he isn't... He's burning his own villages, which strikes me as kind of insane. So we'll show him the Shogun seal by saying that three times fast. I just did. And try and find out what's going on. You call out in the name of Kihai Hasakawa and ask the samurai rider what is going on. He canters towards you, saying, Bandit raiders, I am riding now for the force of Lord Tsietsin. Suddenly, as he nears you, he levels his spear and spurs the horse on, catching you completely by surprise and gashing your arm. Lose three stamina points. You must fight the treacherous samurai. So, my stamina is now down to 18. A samurai horseman has a skill of 8 and a stamina of 9. I'm going to draw my sword and roll some dice. I have defeated the Samurai Horseman. I suffered a couple of additional points of damage, reducing my stamina to 14. And to celebrate my famous win over the Samurai Horseman, I'm going to eat a ham and cheese toasty, which will raise my stamina back up to 18. Ah. With a powerful scything blow, you cut deep into the rider's leg. He gives a shout of pain and topples from the saddle. Before he hits the ground, you have struck his head from his shoulders with one sweep of your katana. Now, my limited knowledge of samurai films tells me that that is exactly the sort of behaviour a samurai in combat should be doing. So that's awesome. Uh, I guess this is the point at which I eat my ham and cheese toasty. Lord Sietzin is a traitor, you realise. About ten of his samurai are running amok in the village, looting and killing the defenceless villagers. Will you leave the village to its fate, deciding your mission is more important? Or will you run into the village and attack the nearest samurai? Or will you run into the village and shout out that you are the shogun's champion? Do you challenge anyone to an honourable duel? Or, if you have the skill of Kyujutsu, will you enter the village and dodge from house to house, picking off the raiders as you go? So, lots of choices there. I still find it slightly bizarre that Lord Tsietsin is looting his own village because killing your own villagers, it strikes me as it's rather more difficult to extract tribute from a village you've burnt to the ground. Much as I am tempted to dodge from house to house picking off the raiders as I go, I think that I'm going to shout out that I'm the Shogun's champion and challenge anyone to an honourable duel because that just feels so very much like something from a samurai film. So that's what I'm going to do. You run into the village and then shout the challenge at the top of your voice. Many of the samurai turn and stare at you as you tell them who you are. One of them steps forward and says, We no longer owe allegiance to Keihai, Hasakawa, and follow the new shogun, Tsietsin. But we are still samurai. Come then, let us duel. He steps forward, drawing his sword. He stands before you, sword raised over his head, its tip pointed at your throat. 
You must fight three of these samurai, but they come at you one at a time in honourable, if biased, fashion. So, three samurai. Skill seven, stamina nine. Skill nine, stamina eight. Skill seven, stamina nine. So, this is likely to be a long, old tussle. Uh, yes, I am going to roll some dice. I have defeated all three samurai. It took forever. Now, one thing I do know about samurai films, at least the samurai films that I've seen, is that combat between samurai is traditionally over in a flash. And this is a system that is much more attritional, which sort of feels like a bit of a disconnect. Uh, they also stabbed me quite a number of times, reducing my stamina to eight. So I have taken the opportunity of eating a packet of very festive mince pies and downing a pint of eggnog which has taken my stamina back up to 16. My provisions are now down to 7. The last one falls dead at your feet. You expect another to step forward and take his place, but none of the other samurai make a move. The villagers cower in their homes, watching the proceedings with fear and hope in their eyes. One or two of the samurai shuffle backwards uncomfortably. They have been awed by your swordsmanship, also awed by my ability to be stabbed repeatedly and still carry on fighting. One of them says, You're a master of the sword, and you have one great honour here. As you fought so well, we will leave now and spare your life. His words sound courteous, but you sense it is fear of facing you rather than desire to honour you that is making them leave. They leave the village as fast as they can. You feel too tired to pursue them. Gain one honour point for your challenge and your defence of the village. So, might have been stabbed up, good and proper, but still rocking the samurai honour. The villagers run out of their houses and their hiding places. Some shouting joyfully, others weeping over lost friends and relatives. As many villagers see you dousing the fires, a number of elders approach you. Bowing low, one of them says, I am Ninji the headman. We cannot thank you enough for your noble act. Hachiman has fallen on bad times, but at least someone still follows the old ways. Here, my lord, please accept this gift. And he hands you a silken red headband patterned with a black three-spoked wheel. This is the headband of Shinmen, the legendary hero of Hachiman who came from this village. The headband has been with us for centuries. You feel honoured. Shinman was a great hero. Gain one honour and one luck point. Oh, wow. So I'm up to honour five, but my luck is... Holding steady at ten, which is the maximum. Just then, a commotion starts nearby. There are cries of anger and hate. A group of villagers have found a wounded samurai raider and are dragging him towards you. They are chanting, Kill! 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 The headman bows to you and says, Please rid us of this vile murderer, lord. A samurai lies before you defenceless. A slim young man with a blood-stained head bandage. He looks at you defiantly, resolved not to show fear. Will you kill the samurai as the villagers wish, or spare his life? Should he not have killed himself upon failing his master? I realise there's supposed to be like poetry and meditation and reflection involved in ritual suicide, but yeah, I feel as though he's expecting to die. Yeah, I'm just going to kill him. I'm going to I'm going to meet out justice as I see it. You step forward, draw your sword, and hack off the villainous samurai's head in one fluid motion. It is all he deserved for betraying the shogun and turning to a life of burning and killing, the headman says. The other villagers thank you for meeting out their idea of justice and give you another gift, six gold pieces. After a small celebration, you take your leave and head back to the main road. 
Can't help but feel it was probably the wrong choice. But never mind, we'll find out. You walk on, soon the village fades from view as you pass through the rolling fields of farmlands. The main road curves past a low hill, and when you round it you see a fortified castle some way from the road. You recognise the flag of Lord Sietzin, the local daimo or baron, fluttering above the towered ramparts. Have you already met some of Lord Sietzin's men, or have you not? I have. I know he's a wrong un. Will you press on down the road and try to skirt past Sietzin's home without being spotted or decide that the honour of the Shogun must be upheld and try to get into the castle and slay Lord Sietzin yourself? I mean, I do kind of feel as though if the Shogun wants him dead that badly, he should do it himself. So yeah, we'll leave it. You trudge on. The land is less cultivated here, wilder and more overgrown. Soon you are travelling between two wooded hills through a shallow valley. Test your luck. Seven. I am lucky. Luck now reduced to nine. You come out of the valley and are faced by a large forbidding forest stretching away for miles to either side. The road disappears into its depths like a stone into water. You recognise it as the forest of shadows and you must go through it. Okay. You follow the thin woodland trail that winds and bends through the clustered boles of the Forest of Shadows. The trees are so closely packed that only a fraction of the sun's rays filter down in shafts of dusky light, filled with motes of dust that float slowly in the air. It is dim and murky, and the sounds of forest life intrude faintly on the edge of your consciousness as you walk on, as if in a waking dream. See, that's some nice writing. Suddenly you stumble out into a broad clearing, your eyes filled with light. You shake your head to clear it when a sound in the air causes you to look up. A great dragon is floating down towards you. It has a long, sinuous body like a massive serpent, but four clawed legs. Its head is horned with great glaring amber eyes. It has no wings, but seems to be walking on the air. It is a tatsu, a wingless dragon that can walk on sky, sea and land. Settles before you, hovering a few feet off the ground. Its amber eyes regard you placidly. Then it speaks in a rich, deep voice, resonant with knowledge and power. Welcome to the heart of the forest, mortal. I am the guardian, and there are certain celestial laws that bind me. Seems to smile at you, if dragons can be said to smile at all. You must answer two riddles I shall put to you. If you answer them correctly, you may pass through the forest. If not well, then I shall eat you, and you cannot run. No one can pass through this forest without first dealing with me. And it laughs as if the last few words were obvious. So, riddling time. I quite like a riddle. It says optimistically. So, uh, let's see if this uh, slightly smug and aggravating dragon is as clever as he thinks he is. Well, man-thing, here is the first riddle. In marble halls as white as milk, lined with a skin as soft as silk, within a fountain crystal clear, a golden apple doth appear. No doors are there to this stronghold, yet thieves break in and steal the gold. Tatsu stares at you in greedy anticipation. When it thinks you have the answer, take each letter of the answer, don't count words such as A or the, convert them to its corresponding number in the alphabet, add them together, and turn to that paragraph number. That gives us an example of what you would do. 
So I think the answer to that riddle is straightforward. I think that is an egg. So E-G-G. -G. There we go. There's the answer. The Tatsu seems disappointed. An egg. Yes, that's right, man-thing. Then it brightens, the look of greed coming back into its eyes. But can you succeed again, sharp-witted mortal? When one does not know what it is, then it is something. But when one knows what it is, then it is nothing. Again, when you think you have the answer, take each letter of the answer, convert it into its corresponding number in the alphabet, add them together, and turn to the paragraph. When one does not know what it is, then it is something. But when one knows what it is, then it is nothing. <laughs> Okay, so um, I thought I knew what the answer was. I was along the right lines, but I didn't get the answer exactly right. And checked online to find out what the answer was. And I was close, but I'd thought about it a bit wrong. So uh, I have to go to the, the wrong answer paragraph. No, man thing, that is incorrect. The Tatsu says greedily, its eyes glowing with baleful fire. And now I shall devour you. It roars and launches itself at you, jaws snapping horribly. You must fight. The Tatsu has a skill of 11 and a stamina of 13. I am probably going to get stabbed to death, but on the off chance I don't, I'm going to roll some dice. The Tatsu has killed and eaten me without any particular bother. Quite aside from the fact that it's got a point of skill more than me, it also didn't really feel like rolling less than an 8 at any point. So I reduced it to 9 stamina, but it just, yeah, it just went through me like a hot knife through a sad middle-aged man. Uh, but we are going to invoke the sausagey finger bookmark rule, and we're going to treat it as though we won that combat. I guess I should say that I won it with like two points of stamina, which means I need to eat four portions of provisions, taking me down to three, and my stamina up to 18. 16. No, 18. So we'll say that I ate a sausage and bacon bap, a couple of salmon pate volavong, cheese and salmon bagel, and a plum duff. Who wouldn't be feeling significantly healthier after that meal? An incredibly large meal. So anyway, we are going to pretend that we won. The dragon rolls over and dies. Then incredibly it fades out of existence before your very eyes as if it had never been. Around you the forest loses the aura of mystery and magic that seem to enclose it. You press on, following the track on the other side of the clearing. Eventually you come out of the forest of shadows. In front of you, the track becomes a road that runs across an ancient stone bridge over a river. It is the Hyangkyang River, and the bridge is the Hagakuri Bridge. Beyond it, on the horizon, rise the Shiosi Mountains. As you walk on the bridge, everything around you changes. It is as if you had stepped into another world. All the landmarks are the same, the bridge, the mountains and so on. The sky is darker now. The river to either side of the bridge is red as blood, and skeletal bodies, skulls, bones and limbs float on its surface. Before you stands a hideous apparition. It is a samurai warrior, but one who has been long dead. 
A grinning skull rests inside the helmet, and each skeletal hand clutches a sword. The flag attached to its back, adorned with skulls, reads Evil Death. That really is a lost new wave of British heavy metal album cover. The undead warrior leaps into the air and comes down before you. You must fight it. Oh, I see. On the cover, it's supposed to be leaping. Ah, that makes sense. Sort of. Well, there's a much better illustration. Uh, black and white line art by the uh, really rather good Alan Langford of a uh, definitely undead-looking samurai lunging towards you with a, a pair of swords. It is highly intimidating. I mean, it would be even more intimidating if I hadn't just fought a dragon that's considerably more intimidating. But the undead samurai doesn't know that. As far as he's concerned, or she, as far as they're concerned, they are the most intimidating thing in the world. And who am I to kind of go poo-poo that and tell them, sorry, mate, you don't look half as scary as the dragon that just ate me a couple of pages ago. Undead Samurai has a skill of 9 and a stamina of 11. I must fight it, but only to reduce its stamina to 5 or less. If that happens, then we go to another section. So, I'm going to roll some dice. I have reduced the Undead Samurai to 5 stamina or less. The Undead Samurai reduced me to 12 stamina during that little contretemps. Really, I'm starting to feel as though the dice are not with me today at all. The undead warrior fights in eerie silence. Your last blow shatters one of its skeletal arms and it executes another leap, which takes it out of range. Suddenly, it turns virtually invisible until only a reddish outline enables you to determine its position. Then it attacks again. Continue the fight, but you cannot use Iyajutsu again if you have that skill, which I don't, and you have to subtract two from your skill while it's invisible. Right, uh, but we need to hit it once for something else to happen, so it's now has an effective skill of 11. So, I think I've got to hit it once. I'm actually going to do this fight live on air, which I don't usually do. Exciting. So, skill of 11. It rolls a 6, giving an attack strength of 17. I roll an 8, giving an attack strength of 18. I have hit it. Once again, it leaps back to the other end of the bridge. It turns fully visible once more and gives a strange, ululating cry. To your horror, the skeletal bodies floating in the bloody river stir and come to life. Six of them begin to climb onto the bridge. Do you have the skill of... Kujutsu, and do you want to try and shoot the undead samurai? I do have the skill, and I definitely want to shoot the undead samurai. It's a great little set piece, this. If you have an arrow with white eagle feathers, crafted by Tsunawara, and wish to fire it, uh, you can. Otherwise, you draw and loose an ordinary arrow. Well, I don't have any such arrow, so let's get rid of one of our standard arrows. Two standard arrows remaining. The arrow flies true and thuds into the thing's chest. It staggers back, but there is no appreciable effect. You loose another, but it goes straight through its legs between two bones. The other skeletons are almost on the bridge now. You have no more time. So I've reduced my total number of arrows to one for no effect whatsoever. The animated skeletons are heaving themselves onto the bridge. Do you have the skill of Karamit Jutsu? Uh, I do not, so I can't try and leap over the undead samurai to the other side of the river. I have to try and just receive the charge of the skeletons. Oh, God, there's so many skeletons. So many skeletons. 
There are six skeletons animated by the undead samurai, but only three of them can get to you at a time. You must fight them all at once. So, first skeleton, skill of six, stamina seven. Second skeleton, skill of seven, stamina six. Third skeleton, skill of seven, stamina seven. If I defeat them all, I get the reward of three more skeletons to fight all at once. I am going to be cheeky and cram a scotch egg into my gullet as I prepare to fight. And to hell with it, I'm going to knock back a pint of oxtail soup to go with it, reduce my provisions to one, and giving me an effective stamina of 20. This is, I realise, technically cheating, but this is looking like the shortest playthrough I've done of any game book for some considerable time, and I'm anxious not to stop the fun just yet. So I'm going to roll some dice, but I'll come back and tell you what happened. Then I'm going to roll some dice. Assuming I survive the first dice. Three to keep track of. This is going to be absolutely insane. Okay, I've defeated the first group of three skeletons. Um, and I've been reduced to 14 stamina. My reward is then to immediately fight the second group of skeletons. One has a skill of seven, stamina six. One has a skill of six, stamina seven. One has a skill of eight, stamina of nine. So, mere moments apart for you, what feels like a week apart for me, I'm going to roll even more dice. So many dice. So, the four, fifth and sixth skeletons defeated me. So this looks like being a slightly shorter episode than usual in terms of the playthrough. I wasn't shorter for me, I promise you. I feel like I've been rolling dice since the fall of Rome. So that's my playthrough, my incredibly abortive playthrough of Sword of the Samurai. Probably needed that funky arrow to stand a real chance of getting past the undead samurai, who does feel like a suitably tough challenge. Yeah, I'm going to go away and try and play through a few more times and see if I can do any better. I will speak to you soon with some closing remarks. Tatty bye. Well, that was not, it's fair to say, my finest hour. I have probably done worse in an adventure game book at some point, but if I have, then it's been mercifully blank from my mind. The worst thing is that this book isn't even that difficult. I'm going to blame being on quite a lot of painkillers during the recording. And I don't think you really got to see the best of the book on that playthrough. But hey, that's the format I've decided on. And the odd absolute disaster is to be expected when you insist on going in blind. Except I'm more or less sure that I played this one as a child. So I've got absolutely no excuse other than being an idiot. It's doubly disappointing because this book is really good. It's a marked improvement on Talisman of Death, the previous book by the same creative team. This has a real energy to it, and the determination to put Japanese culture front and centre makes for a much more cohesive world than the one presented in Talisman of Death. Like, it clearly shouldn't be part of the main fighting fantasy world. It's just medieval Japan. It reads like an episode of Star Trek, the original series, where they'd rock up to a planet that just happened to have developed exactly like Earth, mostly so that they could save money on costumes. It does give Sword of the Samurai a flavour of exoticism, which I think would have been 
even more noticeable in the 1980s when it was released. And that's because there are very few fictional worlds that feel as real and as deep as an actual culture. I said at the start that I'm scarcely knowledgeable about Japanese culture, and I'm mindful that using real culture as a backdrop can result in a kind of othering. In the case of Smith and Thompson, I think it's clear that they have a real love for Japanese history and folklore, and that comes through very strongly. Like, I might not know a lot, but I have read Hagakure, a collection of sayings about the way of the samurai attributed to Yamamoto Tsunetomo. And I came to that book through Jim Jarmusch's exceptional film, Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, like my favourite movie of all time. And that film itself deals partly with questions of cultural appropriation. And I think, from my limited knowledge, that Smith and Thompson are clearly sincere and they are attempting to represent Japanese culture as honestly as they can. And part of that is the code of the samurai, here represented by the notion of honour as a game mechanic. It's a simple mechanic, and as I guessed at the outset, it's both a way of keeping score and a resource you can draw on later in the adventure. It's really cool. The finale is a lot easier if you've behaved honourably, but it isn't impossible if you haven't. And that encourages role-playing simply so that you can try and get out with the highest honour possible. And that's, I think, something incredibly important in game design is design systems that create the kind of play that the system is designed to represent. It sounds very, very simple to say, but it's actually really, really difficult in practice. Now, honour is not a clear-cut good cultural institution. I spoke at the start about my disdain for bowing and scraping. I am generally distrustful of hierarchies. And I know if I was writing this story, I'd have been very tempted to take the elements I approved of and discard the elements that spoke to things I disliked, such as the masses being expected to doff their caps to someone because they're richer and therefore more important than them. I have a real dislike of that. But I think the authors did right by choosing to take the notion of honour warts at all. There's good qualities to it, but there's also an arrogance associated with it. And there's a pleasure from being encouraged to play in a way that is a little bit alien to your own values. That's part of role-playing, at least some of the time, providing a safe space to explore different ways of thinking and acting. Of course, I don't know how the authors view medieval Japanese feudalism. They could think that it's the best thing ever and be in favour of replacing our current system with a purely hierarchical caste system. And that's sort of the danger of representing different value systems within a gaming space. You may end up tacitly endorsing something, either by mistake or because you haven't thought that deeply about it. You only have to look at video games to see how many are promoting right-wing ideologies of Western nationalism, othering of different cultures, marginalising women, the invisibility of sexual and gender minorities, and all of that jazz. And that's a roundabout way of saying that I don't think the representation of Japanese medieval culture is wholly unproblematic, and neither is my appreciation of it. But on the whole, I think everyone involved is doing their best to act in good faith. And that's especially important when you consider that this book was written in a time before Neon Genesis Evangelion or Cowboy Bebop were a thing. And Western knowledge of Japanese pop culture was considerably more limited. Even the film adaptation of Akira was a good two years away when this book was released. Worth bearing in mind. 
Smith and Thompson have taken this opportunity to rummage through Japanese folklore for monsters and it's great. There's some familiar faces. I think we were all expecting a dragon to show up at some point, but I got to spend a bit of time on Wikipedia for some of the more eclectic entries in their bestiary. And that's one of the nice things about using things inspired by real world folklore is that you can go off and do some reading around it afterwards, which is just tremendous if you like knowing things like I do. You've got the Kappa, water spirits with strangely bowl-shaped heads which contain a reservoir of water that they can breathe through their head while they're on land. They're great, uh, but sadly the fighting fantasy version doesn't attempt to steal your soul through your anus as the Kappa of Legend are apparently sometimes want to do. My favourite of the monsters though is the Rukuro Kubi, which is a monster that looks like a person during the day, but at night their head flies off to do evil stuff. I love a good flying head monster, and this seems similar to the Panangalan from Malay folklore, which is another flying head, blood-drinking monster that's very, very cool. And getting to encounter an entire village, Rukurakubi, was a memorable set piece from Sword of the Samurai. It works so, so well. Another thing that's interesting about this adventure game book is the structure. There are two different routes to the finale, and they don't cross over at all until the climax of the adventure. So essentially, you're getting two shorter adventures for the price of one. Each has its own difficulties and rewards, which will help you in the run-up to the final confrontation with the villainous Ikiru. Having played through several times, I think one route is slightly better than the other in absolute gamesmanship terms, but they're both really satisfying to play. And I like how you don't absolutely need many items to get to the end, but... If you're playing honestly, you'll definitely want as many as you can because the fights get pretty harrowing without some supernatural support and a couple of bonus points of honour will also pay dividends as well. It's got just tremendous replay value. And add to that that you can mess around with your skills in all sorts of different ways. There's a lot to keep you coming back to this book. Now, a lot of the encounters are fairly elaborate and present a host of different choices. And as always with a fighting fantasy book, they range from... The obvious, through slightly obtuse, all the way to downright arbitrary. How you like your choices is a matter of personal taste, but I think they get the balance more or less spot on for me. It's nice to feel clever, but it's also nice to be surprised by a sudden death once in a while. There's some proper intricate combat encounters which feel very cool. My limited familiarity with anime and my deep familiarity with Godzilla movies makes me really appreciate a bad guy working through a range of increasingly powerful approaches to combat. That definitely feels very on-brand to me, and we get that in a couple of different places. What's a little less on-brand is the attritional nature of combat in fighting fantasy. Now, I'm not super well-versed in samurai movies, but I've seen a few Kurosawa films and um, Shogun Assassin, the uh, Western recut of the baby cart films. And my expectation for a classic samurai fight is that it's all over in seconds, with the more skilled fighter swiftly decapitating their opponent. Now, that's a very hard thing to model in a role-playing game in a way that feels satisfying. I know how I would probably do it, and it wouldn't work at all with a fighting fantasy system. And maybe I'll write a combat system for simulating fights from samurai movies. That feels like a fun 
a small scale project I could totally do while studying full time. Anyway, the general samurai vibe sits uncomfortably with the fighting fantasy approach of nibbling each other to death one flesh wound at a time. Now, the complexity of the encounters does mean that a successful playthrough is fairly short. Now, that's not a criticism. It's clearly a choice that's been made. I think it would have benefited from maybe a few additional encounters to help sell the fantasy of being on a journey. Nothing complicated, perhaps a rainstorm or some other natural peril. Perhaps a few travellers who could share rumours and so forth. Um, climbing a mountain. Nothing that requires more than a couple of paragraphs, but something which can interrupt the series of big set pieces. I'm happy with the game book working out as a few big set pieces because the interminable travel log that was Caverns of the Snow Witch, for example, just felt like it was going on forever. But if I'm nitpicking, I do think some additional material would have given those excellent big set pieces room to breathe and provided something to contrast against those big set pieces. Overall, though, I have an absolute blast with Sword of the Samurai. It's been part of a run of strong entries, I think, in the series. Let's hope that continues, because next time we'll be dealing with one of the original authors, Ian Livingstone, I think at his absolute harshest, as we take on Baram Sekumvit's revamped and even more deadly iteration of Death Trap Dungeon. So I hope you'll join me in January, hopefully early January, for a doubtless fruitless attempt to play through the Trial of the Champions. Until then, have my warmest seasonal greetings, my abiding thanks for listening to my ramblings, especially if you've been with me since episode one, and I hope that we can all have a much better 2022 than 2021. Goodbye, take care, I'll see you soon.